Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive interview where we bring on an analyst to discuss a single stock. And today we have Will. He's also known as Fundacy Investor. We'll uh, attach his uh, write-ups and, and his Twitter in the show notes, but that's how you may know him. And today we're talking about Digital Turbine, which has been a wild ride for shareholders, still up nearly a thousand percent over the last 10 years. But uh, kind of one of the bubble stocks of last year that's gotten blown up yet still has a pretty strong underlying business it looks like and and will kind of lays out the thesis for that did you have any highlights from the interview yeah i think just a pitch for anyone interested in this company this is not a pitch to buy the stock everyone should do their own research as as you well know we do not pitch stocks on the show uh but i think the most compelling thing from this interview is one the competitive advantage from the relationship with the phone makers and if you don't know digital turbine that will make sense after you listen to the interview and two the fact that they were one of the few you know quote unquote stocks that got caught in the bubble at least valuation wise uh that are actually profitable they consistently generate cash flow so those i mean using those two uh things competitive advantage plus cash flow that, that, that'll have me more interested in having it on my watch list uh, right away all right, before the interview, let's talk about our sponsors, our partners, exclusive partners, and the presenting sponsor for the show, Seven Investing. Do you want to talk about the uh, Best Buys now? I believe they just released them, right? Yep. And for anyone that doesn't know, Seven Investing is a stock research service that gives out seven stock research reports each month. However, on top of that, they do plenty of other things. And one of the things they do, uh, and as you're as we're recording this, we're at the middle of the month, but as you're listening to this, it'll be a week prior. They do their best buys now, right around the middle of the month. They do their uh, new research reports at the beginning of the month. So as you're listening to this, uh, the December ones will be coming out shortly. But what they do with the best buy nows, um, or what they call our latest best buys, is they look at their existing recommendations and all the research reports they've done over the years, and they say, okay, at this price, with how the company is executed, what stocks do we recommend if you had cash today that you could you know, look at to purchase for your portfolio? And I'm looking here, I see some software companies. Speaking of Digital Turbine, I see an advertising technology company in the mix there. I see multiple uh, biotech and healthcare stocks within there, and then some uh, more consumer staples. And uh, or actually, it's not consumer staples, some more uh, you know, if you're less on the risk of side, you want more blue chips, they got those as well for companies that might be, uh, you know, interesting buys at current prices and with the current uh, execution. So if you want to check them out, uh, the latest best buys, all the recommendations, plus more at 7investing, use code MONEY, get $100 off your annual subscription every year for life. That is a 25% discount. Use code MONEY, help us out, help yourself out by using 7investing and uh, check them out. All right. Well, without further ado, here's our interview with Will. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. Today, we are joined by Will. You may know him on Twitter at Fundacy Investor. Um, he's been uh, vocal about Digital Turbine, which is the stock we're talking about today. And so, uh, I guess 
no more on the no more on the introduction. Why don't we talk about kind of how you got in to digital turbine as an investment? Kind of maybe talk about what it is and and what attracted you to it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. First and foremost, I love y'all's love y'all's podcast. It's great. It's great materials. Um, so digital turbine, I ended up getting into it in June of 2020. I ended up actually finding it via screener, believe it or not. So I, what I screened for was profitable by gap measure and greater than 25% revenue growth over the past five years, and then under 40 times free cash flow. So I ended up finding Digital Turbine. I ended up checking out their investor materials. And I ended up noticing, and this was when the story was a lot simpler before they ended up expanding across their product lines into new areas. And so what I ended up noticing, though, was really rising profit margins. It ended up going from like negative 30% a few years before to five or to 10% profit margins. So from there it just took a little bit of investigative work. I'm like, why is this happening? And so that's what kind of led me onto the company. And I ended up noticing that they had a big acquisition in March of 2020 um, called Mobile Posse. That was a content plugin for the Android for the Android operating system. And then I ended up noticing that was going to increase their revenues and diversify their revenues across a lot or multiple avenues. And I never looked back and that was kind of how I found it. All right. And We'll mm-hmm. talk about the expansion stuff and the acquisitions, but can you go through the, and for any listeners, they may have listened to the other show we did on Digital Turbine in the past, but can you go through that core um, you know, relationship with the phone provider product and how that got them started and got mm-hmm. to where they are today? Mm-hmm. Of course. So Bill Stone is the one that kind of revolutionized this approach for them. He joined, or he signed on as CEO in about in 2014, I believe. And then they ended up signing a content or they contract with Verizon to do pre-downloaded apps onto their phones for an Android operating system. So to understand kind of like what that means, you have to understand the differences in between the Android operating system and the Apple operating system. Apple, it's a closed closed loop. They they develop all of their operating system. Nobody else is allowed to use it. And various, or in comparison, though, the Android operating system is open source. And so they, and so Google ended up licensing the Android operating system to OEMs and carriers saying, you can use this as long as Google is the default search engine and you use the Google Play Store. So those are the two requirements. And so why they did this is they wanted everyone to have an Android operator or they wanted everyone to have an Android phone and to have it be very cheap because they make money off of the search revenues. And so that was, that was their goal. And so then all of these carriers and all these OEMs take this Android operating system and they use their own version of it. They customize it for their devices and they make it their own. And so then what they ended up doing is they ended up downloading these apps and these other software pieces onto the Android called malware. And they tried to make money off it. They tried to, because they tried to monetize the operating system that they were given without, within the guides of what Google gave them. And so then it, you ended up having a solution where users weren't very happy about the Android experience. And so what Verizon ended up doing is they ended up outsourcing that, that tech or that, uh, basically product or that product that they needed to digital turbine. So digital turbine said, Hey, what we'll do for you 
is we'll provide you a service. We'll plug into your version of, of Android and we will pre-download apps onto the phone when the user opens up the device. And so then the user opens up the device, there's Netflix, Spotify, and whatever Peloton or whatever, whatever apps Uber. pay for so it. Uber is definitely a big customer. Uber. Yeah, it's a great one. Lyft. And so then they pay for that app to just be downloaded on the phone right off the bat. And they'll pay 50 cents to a dollar for each for each smartphone, which is great because then Digital Turbine doesn't have to pay to acquire any users. They just simply provide the technology to each operator. And as they sign on more and more operators... And so, or so then as they started signing on more and more operators in AT&T and Cricket, they signed in 2016, Samsung, they decided, or they signed in like late 2018 or early 2019, one of those two. And so they ended up actually scaling pretty well because they were able to fit, like put that fixed cost across multiple operators. So now they have 40 plus partners that all use the that Android uh, operating system and they use their digital turbine as their partner. So that was kind of, that's kind of how they got started. They had that base product and they had a few other ones like folders for games and whatnot. A lot, they're a lot less important though in the grand scheme of things preloaded or the preloaded apps was their biggest one. And so they ended up signing a lot of partners and ended up kind of having a little bit of a network effect where they're able to improve the product experience and then keep releasing that to new uh, customers. Gotcha. And they've gone through a big, you know, heavy acquisitions over the last, uh, or at least large relative to their size over mm-hmm. the last couple of years. How has that expanded the product strategy and the services Digital Turbine can provide besides that core product that they started out uh, that you just mentioned? Well, yeah, that's a that's a great question because yeah, I remember y'all's first interview. You pretty much, or it was. <laughs> Well, it was probably, I think Digital Turbo was described as convoluted ad tech, which was a pretty good description at the time. Yeah, <laughs> so, the, the, I think that was, yeah, 2020, <laughs> the business was a lot different than it was today. The, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So basically, you got to think of or kind of think about where Digital Turbine is within that product suite. If you're providing services to multiple operators, then the best thing that you can do is add on. Um, related services. And so that was kind of where they were in 2019. So what they did was they first in March of 2020, they ended up acquiring a company called Mobile Posse for 60 million or something like that. It was it was chump change. And then what they ended and that and T-Mobile or Mobile Posse was only on T-Mobile at that time. And so what Digital Turbine did was they're like, we have this company, Mobile Posse, which provides content media, which is basically like a plugin for like Apple news. I think that's kind of like the equivalent on the iOS. So then it has that, but it also has advertising on it and it's running a higher, higher margin, 50% gross margin. What we can do is we can sell that across to all of our other operators, acquire it for what their past 12 months are, just like cross sell it and then get very high ROI on that. And so that happened in March 20 of 20. That's what drew me to the stock because they had a big boost in revenue from that. And then from there, so they ended up doing pretty well. 2020 happened and the craziness all ensued. Um, online advertising went bananas. And then they, their stock price went, I mean, just rocketed. I think it was up in the $90 at one point. It's over 100 times gross profits, whatever, whatever it was at that point in time. 
And then they ended up announcing three more acquisitions, um, Ad Colony, Appreciate, and Fiber. And so those were three different acquisitions and all made for different reasons. So at this point in time, they need, or Digital Turbine needed one, a DSP, a demand side platform. And that was what, and so that they could basically source revenue in there, buy ads, and then make money on the Delta. And so if they had, if Digital Turbine has a good supply of ads, then a DSP would be really valuable for them. So that was the thought process in between one of the acquisitions. The other one was Ad Colony, which ended up basically having an, a network of, thir- of publishers that they had partnered with. And then they had the relationship with the brands. And so they helped fill it, fill the inventory for all the publishers that needed it. And then they had a lot of brand brand relationships, which is good for digital turbines. It kind of got them in the door for a lot of big companies, McDonald's, um, Subway, all of those, all those ones are partnered with Ad Colony. BMW, I think was one of them, which is a little strange. Um, and then Fiber was probably the most important acquisition. They had a sell side services, SSP, and then they had an exchange service. So with the sell side services, that's banners, ad walls, those are plugging into the app, but then they also have an exchange where DSPs can buy ads within that app. So Digital Turbine went from being a plugin within the Android operating system, having user data, and then having a content app to now providing services within the apps, but still having the ability to work outside of the app in the embedded within the operating system. And that's kind of where that journey happened. Would you... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Would you still describe it as convoluted ad tech? I wouldn't because I think what the or the digital turbine didn't have any services within within publishers or within apps at that time when they when they purchased fiber. So they were going to have to the next logical step was to go with they were outside the app and now the next logical step was to go into apps and provide services to publishers. So I don't think it was that convoluted. I think it made a lot of sense. Like, or if you play any type of strategy board game, the bet you got to expand to where you're, you got to expand to the next green field. And especially because they have the advantages of being outside the app. And then that'll kind of, that'll be important later on when we talk about single tap and what that kind of enables them to do. But they didn't have any services there. So they were going to have to develop them one way or another. I think it made sense to acquire fiber. And now they get to integrate all of their current product offerings into those publishers apps and uh, have a little bit of interesting synergies. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the competitive landscape. Um, I guess kind of a two-part question here. Mm-hmm. Who would their, who would you describe as their primary competitors? And then why would an advertiser choose to use digital turbine services instead of like a Google or a Facebook or the trade desk, something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the advertising market is definitely pretty or it's concentrated within Facebook and Google being the primary players, Trade Desk being a big one with a, a DSP service that is offered pretty broadly across the open internet. The digital turbine kind of carved out their own little niche though, because if you're advertising, you got to think about what you're trying to advertise for. If you want a consumer product, Facebook is probably the place to go. Google search has site has site revenue and a lot of other items. So it's like you have almost different type of applications of advertising. Digital Turbine is really good at downloading apps and so or apps onto phones and specifically Android phones, which are 75% of the smartphones out there in the world today. So and then they with the within the app community, now they're going to be really good at selling or at advertising apps within apps or within applications. So I think that there's a little bit, and then between or in, in relation to the trade desk, the trade desk provides DSP services. And so they're buying ads and they're, and they're working with um, their advertisers to buy ads all across the internet. And they take their 20%, their 20% commission for doing that because it's hard to buy ads across the internet. Digital turbine is actually providing the technology to sell ads. And so it's almost a different, it's a different competing service. And actually, they actually talked about on the last earnings call that the trade desk, by increasing their offerings, the trade desk can actually purchase ads easier through Digital Turbine's network. And so they're actually, in some areas, they're not competing against each other. And then you've also got all the ads that work on CTV and whatnot. And that's um, that's a whole different beast. Digital Turbine's purely on mobile. So it's kind of the, uh, it's kind of an issue in, interesting situation where digital turbine wants to be able to provide the highest ROIs within a mobile system or within the mobile area, Android and focusing on apps. Gotcha. I guess, oh, go ahead, Ryan Paul. I guess, does anyone else do what digital turbine does specifically with the, not, not the, not the in-app part, but the, like the setup process, is that Mm -hmm. kind of just their offering or is there competitors for that? There was one main competitor, Iron Source. Um, do you remember that Unity acquired them just a little bit ago? Oh, yeah. all right. That yeah. So that's kind of falling yeah. apart. That's so exactly. So what's what's interesting there is like it's Iron Source only their main customer. I mean, pardon me if I'm speaking out of mouth on this one. Um, Iron Source's biggest customer is T-Mobile. And so Unity ended up acquiring them though, but, and honestly, it could have worked out in the same way that like Digital Turbine bought Fiber to expand their offering because Iron Source, I don't think had very good services for in-app, but I think with Unity's just kind of culture and capital allocation policy, I don't know if that deal is going to actually end up providing good corporate or it's gonna end up actually working out overall for the organization. No, I totally agree with that. Um, Ryan, did you have something else before we hit? Yeah, I was going to say Unity managed. The, the CEO has a tendency to make poor acquisitions. Uh, the tracker mm-hmm. hasn't been great so far, but yes. <laughs> uh, let's hit the most important product, though. And you, you refer to that. And 
Uh, you mentioned the in-app purchases, and it's that's the that's their single tap product. Mm-hmm. Management thinks that that product alone can hit one billion dollars in revenue, which is correct me if I'm wrong, larger than their entire business today. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they believe so much in this product, and do you agree that it has so much potential? So it does. It does. Um... The management, it's also been really slow to roll out because single tap needs to be integrated into each of the OEM or carriers version of Android and all within all the customizations. So the integration has been a lot slower than people realize, and it's going to be a lot slower going into the future. So because what they're going to do is they're probably going to start rolling out on a few million devices first before they start, and then that'll take a quarter or two, and then they will go to their entire supply after that. And Samsung's already um, said that they want to roll out with single tap across their entire footprint, which is hundreds of millions of devices. So why single tap is a tool though, more, more than anything, it's not just a single product. What that, what it ends up, what it does is imagine clicking on an app or an advertisement and then not having to go to the Google Play Store and it just downloading on your phone directly in the background. And also you don't have to leave your app. So that provides, or there's a lot of implications from that. First of all, your conversion is going to be a lot better with the products like that because you, it takes less clicks. Think about, think about the ad process that as it is right now. You click on an ad, you go to the Google Play Store, you confirm that you want it, and then it downloads. Whereas this, imagine just simply an install now button, you click it, it downloads in the background once. And also it makes a lot of sense for publishers because then you stay in the app. If uh, if you're watching or if you're on your Spotify, for instance, and an app come and an ad comes up, it's on y'all's brilliant chit chat money podcast. They download. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's how we're, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'll, I'll plug it in. Uh, so it downloads the app in the background, right? And then it doesn't make it where the person leaves to go to Google Play Store and then they start searching Twitter and then they pause your podcast to, to start watching a video. Like there's value to staying within the app. And then there's also value in higher conversions. So, and then, so that's, that's the way that the product works. Now, the, the next question is how are they going to make money off of it to get to 1 billion, right? So first, firstly, what they started off with, with their appreciate acquisition is they started directly buying ads with single or with devices with single tap enabled. They've already done, I think they were on a hundred million dollar run rate two quarters ago with just simply doing that. And so they've got the potential to really scale with this. And that's what they were trying to prove. It was more of a proof of concept, I think, in my mind. But what they're going to do is they're going to build that single tap enablement into the fiber acquisition that they did within the app. So every single app or publisher that uses fiber services is going to have single tap enabled. And so then it will help those apps because they they will get more dollars in advertising revenue. They'll get more conversions and digital turbine will make more revenue from that. And then also digital turbine is going to, um, they're going to release the product as a subscription to other publishers like TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. And they, I think on their investor presentation, they said it was going to be for 1.5 million per month on, on average. But so they've, they've confirmed that they're in talks with Facebook and whatnot to actually 
um, release this product to them on a subscription basis um, when it's released at scale. So between releasing it as a service to apps, using it within your own exchanges and your own fiber services, and then doing it directly, I think it could do, I think it could do 1 billion in revenue. I think it's a, I think it's a little bit farther off though than investors would like to like to think. Gotcha. What's stopping Facebook from copying single tap? Because I know it's, you know, that no one can copy that OEM relationship, but, or it would be very, very difficult, but what's stopping them from, you know, copying this product? So that's a great question. Remember earlier when I said uh, it's important that digital turbine was embedded into the Android operating system by being embedded into the operating system, they're able to work behind or basically after or they're able to work in the background behind the apps facebook can't do that especially with idfa and whatnot limiting their tracking they're able to track but facebook literally does not have the technology to be able to do something like single tap mm-hmm. and that's the and that's the intriguing part is the fact that digital turbine because they're embedded in the operating system has abilities to do things like this and then they've also shown things on their um, investor really, or on their investor presentation days. These are probably just hype products, but they did it. They showed a conversion. I think it was a Domino's pizza ad where you like shake your device and then with your TV and then ended up like pulling up the Domino's app, something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Like it was kind of cool, but like digital turbine is able to do things like that though, because they're within the operating system. And that's a, that's something that a lot of their other ad tech companies can't, can't say. Right. I, I'm just curious how many companies will use the shake functionality, but that is, you know, it's an interesting feature. The yeah. uh, Let's maybe talk about the valuation right now, because there's some, we, we can kind of talk about revenue trends after, after that, but I think it shapes the discussion. So mm-hmm. what does the valuation look like for Digital Turbine today? When we talk about the business, it sounds like there's this massive opportunity just mm-hmm be sitting where they do. So kind of uh, how do you look at the valuation and uh, maybe give some numbers for context? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the valuation based on the last 12 months is at seven or is at about 30 PE, I believe right now, but also some, or it depends on what you use. It's about four times gross profit, um, 30 PE or 14 times free cash flow. So a lot of things that's kind of causing that discrepancy in between PE and free cash flow is there's a little bit of share-based compensation, but not as much as you'd like to think. A lot of it is a amortization of in between or because of all the acquisitions that have happened recently. And so it's a large, large non-cash expense that has been happening in the last year that's kind of caused a large portion of that discrepancy. So, but I mean, as you can think though, a 30 PE still or or even like a normalized uh P around like 25, 20, somewhere in there. There's a lot of expectations built into that. And so investors do think that the company is going to do pretty well going into the future. So if you don't believe in the long-term prospects of like where this company is going and what they're building, then it's probably it's probably pretty expensive to you. And they've got uh correct me if I'm wrong, but around 40 to 50% gross margins, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think they last quarter, what they did is they caught or they caused a little bit of issue with their using pro forma and whatnot, because they redefined how they classified revenue and gross margins within their acquired businesses. Fiber was running at around a 30% gross margin 
when they acquired them. And then, but that's because they counted like revenue share against gross profit. And so then that ended up making gross profit numbers look a lot worse. And so Digital Turbine, it was probably a little bit to like pump the stock price to make them look good, but they reclassified it uh, revenue into actual direct cost of revenue and took out that um, and reclassified the revenue to what they actually got rather than revenue share. And then now their gross margins on a pro forma basis are going up. So I think it's like 48% last year versus 52% this year. So slightly rising, but like uh, still in that mid-tier range though, where it's, just, it's typically a software company, you'd expect it to be higher, but that's because of revenue share and whatnot in the legacy business. Okay. So is that their big cost of goods sold? Is they're they're sharing with those their mm-hmm. partners? Mm-hmm. Yep. If you actually look at their cost of goods sold, it's more in like the 80 to 90% range. Okay. What, uh, uh, so I guess revenue did decline last quarter. Um, mm-hmm. This kind of begs a bigger question, which is how does this, how do you think Digital Turbine will perform in an advertising, overall advertising slowdown? And then do you think this revenue decline is sort of temporary or larger cause for concern? Yeah. So you got to think about, or there were a few reasons for the, uh, for the decline um, per management. So if you got to believe what management says in regards to that. So, and an advertising is obviously cyclical. I think we've kind of proven that all the, uh, all the Google bulls thinking that advertising wasn't cyclical and it was a kind of prove or kind of get a little bit ahead of themselves. But right now, digital turbine is a small player and advertising budgets aren't necessarily, I don't think, kind of motivated to prioritize large budgets on lower proven options like digital turbine currently. And so I think an overtime over, I think a advertising slowdown isn't necessarily great for them just being a, being a small player, but a large portion of the reasons that the revenue dropped last quarter was because they eat because their mobile posse, that acquisition, they actually started flipping from prepaid devices where you pay all up front for your device to postpaid devices with Verizon. And now they're now they're rolling that out this quarter. So a slowdown in their content media, their eCPMs dropped. So their or so their CPMs within their apps for their fiber dropped a lot dropped off a lot, which makes sense. They've got the same supply, but they're selling each ad for less. And just overall, I think it's pro I think digital turbine isn't immune to those issues though. Makes sense. Gotcha. Um, anything else on that or next go to yawn? Um, I mean, or what I, or I wouldn't be worried about a slowdown, I think with digital turbine though, because I think their caught co- or their costs actually dropped year over year though, comparative to a lot of other tech companies that went up 30, 40%. And so that's, I think is kind of the main thing why I'm not worried about it is because although advertising is cyclical, digital turbine has very, they're not losing money right now developing, even with all the development of their, all their products that they're doing right now, they're not losing money. They're gap, they're gap profitable. They're paying down their debt. And I think they paid 25 million down last quarter. So they've reduced it from 525 million to about 450 or so right now. And so I'm not really, I'm not too worried about it being a drawdown. I think they have a lot of products on the horizon and I'm not too worried about like the short term year to year and a half, how that's going to look because digital turbine in the grand scheme of things right now is paying down debt and doing good product development. So that's kind of where my headspace is at on that. 
Yeah, they, they do generate cash. Um, I want to hit on again, you, you kind of alluded to this on maybe your thoughts here, but do, does Digital Turbine have any competitive advantages? And you describe them as a friendly middleman in your write-up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that and why do you think they are um, a burgeoning friendly, friendly middleman? Yeah, of course. So I got to give props on the friendly middleman. That was not a uh, that was not an organic thing. That was a uh, taken first from a book called Quality Investing by uh, Lawrence Cunningham. Um, Torkel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then I think it was Lockstock Barrel um, on Twitter at Lockstock Barrel um, ended up using it a lot to describe Expel, and so I ended up, or and so then I ended up taking it, of course, and kind of writing, giving, giving credit within the write-up. But what it is, is it's kind of a friendly middleman's a business that's B2B by nature. And they provide solutions on both sides, both sides of the, both sides of the equation, basically. And they try to add value to both sides. And so in my mind, Digital Turbine is a friendly middleman because they are providing monetization solutions to people with Android operating systems and are looking to sell those, like the OEMs and the carriers. And then they're providing services to advertisers on the other side. And so it's kind of, they're a friendly middleman because the OEMs and carriers don't really do well with dealing with the advertisers and then the advertisers on vice versa. Because if you think about that dynamic, advertisers would have to go to each one of the OEMs or carriers, the 40 plus partners, negotiate with them, talk about contracts, how they want to manage those ads. And then the the OEMs and carriers don't have the specialty, the interest, or just basically this, just the interest overall to provide those services at like with the quality that's required. And so Digital Turbine, by focusing on the quality and then also being a one-stop shop for the advertisers, provides a lot of service across across that value chain. And that's kind of how I consider it being a friendly middleman. And where the competitive advantage lies is in the fact that there's a lot of people out there that say the OEM or carrier can replace digital turbine um, on the on a whim, basically. Uh, you can read it. You can read it even on Glassdoor reviews. But if you think about if you think about what that would entail, they would have to go out find advertisers. They would have to develop the solution themselves, and then they would be selling the solutions only on a few million devices. Whereas Digital Turbine has every major carrier and OEM signed up for it that uses Android already. And so an advertiser, by talking to Digital Turbine, gets to sell across hundreds and hundreds of millions of devices. I think there's eight, 800 million, right? Something like that. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. So, yeah, if you, an advertiser gets to talk to them or gets to talk to Digital Turbine, they get to sell across an entire thing at very, or uh, entire hundreds of millions of devices with ease. And then an OEM, so it would be very hard for an OEM carrier to provide the quality of digital turbines products at scale, basically, with uh, and actually make good money on it. So with, that's not necessarily a risk. And that's kind of, that's where a large portion of my holding or the reason that I hold the stock comes from is because digital turbine has the, a lock on those OEM and carriers and it's actually providing value to them. That means that they get to be embedded in the operating system, which provides them an advantage against everyone else advertising on android okay i think one of our last questions here what i guess what do you think of the management team i think i think management team's pretty good i think the standout is bill stone as ceo um i think if you read through his 
conference called Transcripts. He's a very operational-based CEO, but he also, since he was CEO through of a public company when they were a nano cap, basically, he doesn't he doesn't use his shares the same way as a lot of these unicorns that came from a that IPO'd recently do. And so I think he's very, very particular about actually improving per share metrics. So if you even, and so I think he's really great in the fact that he understands all of the operations that are being done throughout the business. He understands the strategy and he's kind of, he's been the primary one to guide digital turbine through this progression from, at, or he signed the first contracts with Verizon and AT&T to get, a, to get digital turbine to scale. He then led them, led the company to buying mobile posse, which is another good cross-selling opportunity. And then he ended up leading the company into the apps. And so I think he's got great strategy, great vision, but he also is able to handle the handle the financials very well, uh, along with his uh, CFO uh, Garrett. And so I think overall they're a, they're a great team. I think they've managed to have a lot of cost cost efficiency with the growth that they've had. And uh, yeah, if you look at just for instance, if you look at the trade desk versus uh, digital turbine on a gross profit per share. I think over the last five years, digital or the trade desk has increased their gross profit per, gross profit per share about five x, which is great. Digital turbine has increased theirs about fifteen x, and so yeah, like it's there's a or eighteen x, sorry, and so yeah, there's value in a see or there's value in billstone being able to do operationally and uh have a good grasp of the financials yeah the 18 x that's uh you know the proof's in the pudding there mm. it was a pretty small bit i'm just looking at it right now i don't have the exact numbers but the market cap around like 2017 it was uh it grew more than ten thousand percent over like five mm. years so mm-hmm. uh looks like it was quite the small business when Bill Stone took over. Um, oh, yeah. I guess last question. Mm-hmm. We, we try to ask this for all of these. Um, what could kind of go wrong here? Yeah. So that's that's a fair. Uh, I appreciate giving me that question because honestly, it's a good one to, for all of us investors to consider, I feel like. I think poor ROI on their products. I think that's probably the best best thing that can take down digital turbine is like if advertisers just for whatever don't reason don't want to use digital turbine whether it be they're not getting return on their ad spend or it's too convoluted of a strategy i think that's probably the biggest reason honestly everybody talked about google there for a little bit because that would be the main concern if you're if you're an add-in into the operating system if the operating system provide uh, owner with in this case google didn't like you they could shut you down but Digital Turbine actually mitigated that by signing a, a long-term agreement with them partnership last year. And Google Google's actually selling single tap on their Google Cloud uh, product page now. So that's that's mitigated a little bit. But yeah, I think uh it's either it's either poor ROIs for advertising where where advertisers just don't want to use them and take them out of their budget, or it's going to be like an antiquation of digital turbine services. Say they end up growing into this app business a lot, and then their preload business ends up dropping off a lot, and then they end up losing a major product that was very profitable for them just because of a lack of focus on one key area. I think that's that's a possibility. So 
I think those are kind of the main things, just poor ROI or poor execution on their tech stack. Gotcha. All right. Any other questions, Brett? Okay. Well, uh, I think that's all we got. Anything that we didn't cover that you think is important for Digital Turbine? Um, no, I think just the profitable growth in the grand scheme of things. There's a lot of tech, there's a lot of tech companies that uh, don't have good margins and or good actual net profit margins after using their shares as a resource. And I think Digital Turbine has shown that they are able to increase their net profit margins over time. So if you you got to zoom out though, you got to look over the last five, 10 years, and you'll just see a diagonal, diagonal shape up there. And so return on capital is probably going to end up looking pretty good in the next few years as their content product rolls out and single tap rolls out. And so I think if you're to look at digital turbine, you have to look at where the company is going and their track record of being able to show that they're able to execute on those goals with profitable products. And that's kind of, that's kind of my my final thought. All right. All right. Well, that is going to do it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We want to remind listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. So anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all again for tuning in. Thank you, Will, for joining us and uh, see you guys next time. Hey, Simon, we wanted to ask you a few questions about 7investing so listeners could get an idea of what they're getting. What inspired you to start the company and what exactly is 7investing? Well, hey, Ryan, thanks again for having me. You know, we, from years of working in the investing industry, it was inspired by conversations with people that would just always have kind of the same negative perception of the stock market, right? It's it's too hard, or I don't have time for this, or this is stacked against me. And those conversations kind of led me to say, hey, we need to create a site that actually does inspire people to say, you can take control of your financial future. You can invest in stocks. You can find good stocks to buy and hold for long periods of time. And at the end of the day, too, we know that everybody is different. Um, we don't believe that there is one stock that fits for everyone, right? Maybe you're a, a dividend loving, you know, paycheck cashing uh, income investor that might want an option that's going to be a lower risk dividend paying stock, especially right now with the economy being what it is. Uh, and then other people might say, hey, you know, I'm ready to hold on for 20 or 30 years. I want to take some swings for the fences. Let's go after those high growth opportunities. And so I, I said, you know, this would be something that would be even more fun rather than just doing it educational and as and by myself. I said, what if I brought together a team of seven advisors, all with a diverse background and a diverse perspective of the stock market? So we could uncover more stones and look at a bunch of different stocks with a bunch of different investing styles and a whole bunch of different industries. And so seven investing is, is kind of the uh, the genesis of all of those that we started in uh, in March of 2020. And we said, let's look at a whole bunch of different stocks. Let's do the legwork of the analysis and let's present our seven favorite actionable ideas every month for investors to choose from. And let's start the conversation about which of these stocks is right for you and which one might be the right fit for your portfolio, knowing that investing is a very personal thing. All right. If you are a subscriber of 7investing, what do you get? Can you give an overview of what subscribers get? 
On the very first of every month, Brett, we release our seven new recommendations. So we are uh, coming up on October 1st here, at least in the recording of this. And, you know, on October 1st, we'll release seven recommendation reports. Some of them will be low risk. Some of them will be high risk. Some of them will be biotech. Some of them will be financial services. We run the full gamut. And as a member, you get immediate access to all of the new reports. But you also get access to all of our old recommendations as well. We track all of them in real time on our scorecard at 7investing.com slash recommendations. And we also provide company updates on all of those previous recommendations as well. We check in on how things are going. And sometimes we even see red flags that we think people should be aware of. There's risks for any opportunity at the time that you recommend it. And sometimes it's really willing, it's really, it's really needed for investors to kind of understand the risk and reward relationship. And then the last part of it is in addition to issuing new recommendations and providing updates on them is we know that this is a long-term journey. We know that investing is something that we want to take uh, years, if not decades, to accomplish whatever we want to get to as, as the end goal. And so we always, every month, make it a point to be very available for our subscribers to ask us questions. We have a members-only call uh, right in the middle of every single month. We have a community discussion forum that we that we have available 24-7 to not only talk to our advisors, but also other investors. I think that's one of the key differentiators for 7investing is that, you know, we know this is a long-term journey. We know it's a very personal thing. We know they're going to have questions along the way. We don't want to just broadcast stock picks and disappear. We want to be here with you uh, throughout this entire journey. And you mentioned... So seven recommendations each month. Sometimes those might be repeats, but obviously there's a lot of companies now in the seven investing universe. So how do members get a grasp on the the advisor's conviction around certain ideas? Like which ones do do they are do they have a way of knowing which uh, whether advisors like certain ones more? That's the most common question we've gotten, actually, since we started is what's your favorite ideas right now? You know, we've done the diligence on almost 200 unique companies now and put them on the scorecard and people would say, hey, this is too much to keep up with. How do I even know where to start? And so we've kind of uh, evolved as as a company. One thing that we've started doing is best buys every month. Each advisor gets to pick any of their or another advisor's previous recommendations and put the flag on it that says this is my best buy for October. And we publish those for subscribers. The other thing that we've started doing is issuing conviction ratings on companies that are also right there on the school card. So if you see a previous recommendation, we go everything from potential sell, which is the most negative flag we can put on a stock, to strong buy, which is the most positive bullish flag that we can mark things with. And you can filter through all of those to really quickly see, here's some of our favorite opportunities. And we've taken this even one step further now, Ryan, which is we've created a strong buy portfolio where every quarter now we've gone ahead and self-selected as a team through a pretty methodical process, our 20 favorite ideas, our 20 highest scoring companies that we've collectively come up with, our favorites of the entire scorecard. And we put these into what we're calling a strong buy portfolio that we publish each quarter, also available as an added benefit for no extra charge for seven investing members. All right, last question here. What does it cost to become a seven investing subscriber? Uh, and as a, you know, we'll talk about, or we have talked about before, if you're a listener, use code money to get a hundred dollars off your annual subscription. 
That's right. Yeah, we do have a monthly option. You know, you can come in and check out the entire scorecard for a month just to see what you're looking at for $49 a month. Uh, but our most popular plan is actually the annual option because it's at a discount to that. Uh, in fact, we've got a discount on the discount, like you mentioned, Brett. Uh, $399 for the year is our is our annual option price. But if you use money, the chit chat money promo code, it's down to $300. So you're basically getting the the subscription for half price if you sign up for the annual offer with that promo code. That does not expire after the first year. As long as you remain an active subscriber, you get to lock in that $100 off a year benefit. All right. Well, as he mentioned, use that code money. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Thanks very much for having me.